One of the most frightening things that can ever happen to an individual is to have a head injury. I'll never forget being in the 10th grade playing baseball when I should have stuck with football. Being a first base because I'm left-handed, and we didn't have an infield fly rule back then. And uh, I went after a pop, and it was coming up to the uh, pitcher's mound, and I ran in absolute fury toward it. Now, back then, I was a lot skinnier. And I'd forgotten the third grader, I mean, the third baseman was a kid who had not the best eyesight in the world and weighed about twice what I did. We hit head-on, and I had a concussion. And I'll never forget the experience of going through that at that young age, how frightening it was to be rolled into an emergency room and checked over. I didn't realize the danger in a head injury. Didn't comprehend all that was going on there, that you could end up either disabled or dead because of that. A bump, a bruise, a cut, any kind of thing like that to the head is very serious. But we understand why people now wear protective gear, whether they're riding a tricycle or playing with the NFL. They protect their head. Now, that gives pause to think about when we were children because I can remember we did everything from uh, playing ball to, remember, lawn darts? Without helmets. And the danger we were in, we never really understood. But now we understand the reason we protect our head because so much of life is generated through your mind, your head. So much goes on coming down from the brain, the stem, into the spine. It is so necessary, yet it's a very, very important part of your body. God told us to protect our head with the helmet of salvation. When we prepare to face the evils in this world, that's what we must do. Because remember, we're in a spiritual war. Every day, every hour, and every minute, we consider the enemies that we fight are not enemies we can face. We can't see them coming from afar off. They can be very close to us. Ephesians 6.12 says simply this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Our fight is a terrifying fight when you realize it. When you understand the world that we live in and the problems that are here, we realize the influence of evil in our world. We're in a battle not for land or political ideology. We're in a battle for the souls of men and women and children. There is an eternal effect to what happens in this battle. But amazingly, God equips us to face that situation. The verse right after the one I just read to you says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Now, what's amazing about this passage is it does not tell us to prepare to fight. We're equipped to fight, but the battle is not ours. We are to stand and fight, we're to face the enemy. And yet we are to stand because the battle has already been won, dear friend. Jesus fought that battle and won it on the cross. When he entered into the grave, there 
He declared that we all died with him. Our sin could die. And he rose again victorious. Because of that, we don't have to fight. We just stand. And here's the amazing thing. When we stand our ground, when we stand in faithfulness to him, we're protected. We're going to be okay. The helmet of salvation is so important. It gives to us that sense that we're protected in every way. Like a soldier, do you not think that that we would need to be well acquainted and well trained with these armaments? Many people say, yes, we, we do have to fight. No, we don't. We stand. And if our eyes are focused on Jesus and our heart is in the Word of God, if we understand who and what we are, God wins the battle for us. Our only struggle we'll ever have is with the flesh and looking out at the world. In a very rare moment, maybe with the devil. But we cannot do that battle. I remind you that not even the angels of heaven ever battled with Lucifer. They said, the Lord rebuked thee. And because of that, the power of God protects us and saves us and and keeps us safe in all that we go through. In the world that we live in right now, in the circumstances we're going through, we need to have this armor on even now. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us these words, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. I want you to understand the importance of those words. We can't accomplish on our own what we need to do, but Jesus has already accomplished that for us. And the Spirit of God within us will protect us. And that is so powerful today. I want to look at three ideas about the helmet that we're to wear and consider whether or not you realize the protection you have with that helmet. The first is simply this. The helmet is not for doing battle. Not at all. It's for identification of who you are in the battle. Our entire robe that we wear of armament as we go into battle has nothing to do with protecting us so that we will live forever. No, we'll live forever because Jesus is in our heart. It identifies us with Jesus Christ What we wear gives us that sense of walking with Him. It's amazing that this passage in the New American Standard Version of the Bible points out very plainly that in all capital letters it says, The Helmet of Salvation. And it does that because this is not a new term that is used here by Paul. He borrows this from Isaiah 59, 17. Isaiah 59, 17 says, He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with a zeal as a mantle. If you read the 59th chapter of Isaiah, you will know that it's a passage describing God's fury and anger against the evil that has destroyed his creation. He tells about how he prepares to go in vengeance after that evil. It talks about the strength of what he wears as he goes before that. And the helmet of salvation comes not from us, but from God. 
Not only does Paul borrow that from the Old Testament, he also is relating to, remember where he is when he's writing this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. He's chained to a soldier, a Roman soldier, there in a jail. He is constantly looking at that helmet. The helmet would be iron. It would have leather around part of it. It would have sections that would come down over the sides of the face. Many times there would be a large plate that would come over the front of the nose, and you would only see the piercing eyes through that. But that soldier was there before him, and he understood the importance of that helmet and what it accomplished. It protected that soldier in battle. We, re we wear our helmets to remind us that God is our strength. He protects us with His salvation. Jesus gave to us what we could not give to ourselves, but we needed so desperately. Paul, in his letter to the Christians at Philippi, said, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The most dangerous situation a Christian can ever get themselves into is to go out and ignore the helmet of salvation. To live as if you were never saved is a horrible condition to live in. Make sure you know that and always understand that. Secondly, realize this, that our helmet protects us for our eternity ahead. You're not just saved so you'll live a better life here on earth. You're saved in order to live forever. God is accomplishing in you right now, if you're a Christian, His purpose in a mighty way. I asked this question Wednesday night as we were having our Wednesday night study out of Genesis. And I asked this question, and sometimes when I ask questions, they're tricky, and sometimes they're, uh, they're misleading. But this one, I often think about, is so powerful and important. We must, we must realize that God only has one purpose for us once we're saved. He has one direction for us. One thing. Now, Jesus has a special relationship with us in that salvation. The Holy Spirit does also. But God has one purpose for us once we're saved, and that is to conform us to the image of His Son. That's what He's about in our life. And He doesn't hesitate to use any calamities, disasters, or situations we go through to shape us and mold us into the image of His Son. For the more that we look like Jesus in this world, the more we will affect those who encounter us. The more we look like Jesus, the more we are loved by the Father. Because it is the flesh that we are to, to push away and to get away from in sanctification that makes us more like Jesus. And that is only accomplished in difficult circumstances. God doesn't send upon us sadnesses and difficulties and tragedies. No, not at all. But He uses every one of them to make us into an image of His Son. I used to be bothered by the expression that was used often by my parents. My parents were older. And uh, we had at our house, uh, we had some whetstones to sharpen uh, blades, but we also had a great big stone uh, that was on a pedal and you could crank it up and it was a, a grinding stone but it was it was used to sharpen like sickles and and different farm implements we even sharpened our our shovels and a friend told me one time 
why do you sharpen a shovel? I said, go over there and stick it in that dirt. And it had been dry for about four weeks. He said, it won't go in. I said, that's exactly why you sharpen it. My parents had an expression they'd use, and you've heard it before. Sometimes God sharpens us at the devil's grindstone. What that means is the sadnesses and the difficulties of life, God will use them. He doesn't cause them, but he will use them to perfect in us his will, the image of his son. So when situations come your way, don't run from them. As James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, when they come, don't, don't, don't try to hide from them. And that's what we often do. We begin to pray and say, God, take away this tragedy or this sadness or this struggle or, or this stress. No. God's not going to take it away, but he's going to use it to benefit your life. You're going to learn through that sadness or that difficulty. That's how God works. But I want you to realize this. As he protects us for our eternity ahead, I want you to know that he's possessing the salvation that only Christ can give. We as the Christian should not be discouraged. Not at all. Sometimes we're, when we're in the middle of the disaster of that, when we realize the, the situation is one that's untenable and frustrating, that in that we understand that our salvation is a present reality. We're saved, but it's also a future hope. Because of that, we have something to be thankful for. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, But since we are of the day, speaking the day of the Lord, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, we can look back and know our sins are forgiven. We can know that Jesus died on the cross for us, and if we accept that gift, we're saved. Our sins are forgiven. They're covered over with the blood of Jesus. But then we must also realize that the continued forgiveness of sin, as we look forward, makes a difference. Very often when young folks come to me and say that they're ready to be baptized, they'll, they'll sit down and talk with me. And I'll always ask them a series of questions, but I'll always ask them one very important question. I say, now, since you've accepted Jesus into your heart, that means you won't ever sin again. When a child truly understands salvation, they'll look at me and they'll say, no, I'll still sin but I need to go back to Jesus and get forgiveness. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that he died for my sins, but I'm still struggling with them. You know what's amazing? I know a lot of adults that don't understand that. They think that somehow they're perfect. We're all flawed. We're all broken. We have frailties. I didn't become a preacher because I was better than, than someone else. No, I'm as broken as you are. In fact, unfortunately, I put myself in a more dangerous place because, as, as, as my friend Peggy Coffey told me one time, she said, I didn't have nearly as many problems until I started teaching Sunday school. And then I realized everything I claimed in the way of a promise I was tested for. And in the same way, every time I preach or share the truth of the gospel, I'm tested for that. You go through those struggles... But you learn to stand. You learn not to, not to be afraid of those struggles, not to run from them, but to embrace them. Because you know that the strength that you have within you will get you through that. 
You won't retreat. You won't surrender. You won't give in. You won't say, well, I'll do this one more time, or I'll, I'll, I'll be with that person one more time, or, or I'll go through this, this experience or attitude one more time. Then I'll quit. How many times have we said that in our lives? But the reality is this. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. And it is not your strength that you overcome temptation with. It's his strength. You may do it for a while in your own strength. But eventually, the evil one will come at you at your weakest moment. And you'll give in. And you'll surrender. And you will live. You won't lose your salvation, but you'll live as if you were never saved. And that's the most frightening of conditions for a Christian. But lastly, I want you to realize this. Our helmet cannot be removed by anyone. No one can remove your helmet of salvation. I am so thankful that in John 10 we hear these words. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is greater than all hath given them unto me. And no one is able to take them out of my Father's hands. Why are we secure in our salvation? Why do we believe that we can't lose our salvation? First of all, we didn't earn it. We didn't make it. We didn't accomplish it. And secondly, it's not us holding on to it. It's God holding on to us. I am so thankful that God holds on to us. Because many times we, we walk away, we give up. But He continues to hold on to us. We face the battle knowing our salvation is assured. We understand that God has given us the victory already. I heard a little blog the other day that was, was done by Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers. And Tony Evans talked about his son, who is a professional ball player in the NFL. And he told about one time that he had to be at a very special engagement. He could not be there to watch his son play football that day. He said, but the good thing was he had a channel on his television that recorded all those and he could go back and watch the entire game all the way through. He said, you know, it was different watching the game when I already knew that they had won. He said, I, I didn't get nearly as panicked when his team fumbled the ball. He said, I didn't get upset when, when it seemed like things were not going their way because I already knew the ending. And there was a strength within me because of that. Dear friend, I want to tell you something. We already know the ending. You don't have to be afraid. Your salvation is not on the line when, when you are being tested. You're not only saved, you're safe. And you have an opportunity to be victorious before the world. During the Spanish-American War, there was a great woman in Cuba working there named Clara Barton. Any nurse or anyone that's ever worked in nursing knows the name Clara Barton. She was a standard in so many ways, and the Red Cross leans on her and looks back to her for so much. One day she was confronted by a colonel down there, a very brash, bold, loud, noisy colonel by the name of Theodore Roosevelt. He was in that battle, 
And suddenly they found themselves with no provisions for their soldiers. Teddy Roosevelt boldly walks into the tent that Claire Barton was, was using as her office and said, I want to buy some food from you. My soldiers are hungry and we're out of provisions. She said, sorry, can't do that. He had the Rough Riders there who had been fighting so hard. And they were out of food. And he said, lady, I'm telling you, I'll, I'll, I'll pay whatever you want. I'll pay it out of my own pocket. I'll pay twice what you want. I need that food. She said, no. He walked out of there so frustrated. And one of the little nurses that worked with her was outside preparing some bandages. And she called him over. and She said, Colonel, come here a minute. She said, you don't understand what's going on there, do you? He said, yeah, she turned me down. He says, no. You offered her money for it. Go in and just ask for it. They said that was probably the first and only time Teddy Roosevelt ever put his pride aside for anything. And he walked in there and he said, Miss Barton, would you give me that food? She said, you can have whatever you want. Teddy Roosevelt said in his memoir that that day he learned the most important lesson in life, that there, there are some things that are so unique and so special you can't buy them. They have to be given by a benevolent person. God gave you your salvation. Wear it proudly. Never look away from it. Never abandon it. Never live as if you're lost. Understand that as we go forward, the days we walk forward in right now are the most frightening days that I've lived in my 63 years. But there are days when God is still able to lead us victorious if we'll only trust Him. And whatever you need, ask, and it shall be given. Let us pray. Father, I thank You so much that it's not what we've worked for that matters, but it's what you've given us that we can't afford that makes all the difference in our lives. Our salvation was a gift. And because of that, we have so much to look forward to in eternity. We have no reason to be sad for a moment. We have only to be thankful for what is ahead. And Father, I pray that you would speak to someone here this morning Someone who has a decision to make in their heart of hearts. Someone that, that needs to say today, Lord, I need the gift of salvation. And I'm calling upon you to save me even today. And I pray if there's one here today making that decision, I pray that you would not hesitate to come forward at the first notes of the instrument as we sing the invitation hymn. And Father, if there's someone here that needs to come forward and join the church or to be baptized or just simply to come down and pray, to be closer with you, I pray that they'd feel a freedom in the Spirit to do that even today. Father, speak to our hearts. And may we be keenly aware that our obedience makes all the difference in the world when we hear you. May we obey even now. And we pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.